Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis, a podcast where pop culture and ABA meet. Yay! A very special guest on, Erin. Say hi. Hey. Can you hear me okay before we get into, like, formal introductions? My Wi-Fi is pretty shitty, so I just want to be sure. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. For right now. Perfect. Yay. Okay. So first and foremost, thank you for joining me. I'm really, really excited to have you on. I had your co-host on actually, I think it was last month, Denisha, and that was fun. So I'm really, really excited to have you join us. Um, Yeah. Tell everybody about yourself, who you are, all that jazz, where they can find you. So my name is Erin Donovan. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I am a behavior analyst, hence the reason I'm on a behavior analytic podcast. Um, (laughs) I uh, don't work um, where a lot of behavior analysts work. I'm actually an academic, so I'm I'm an instructor uh, with Capella University. Um, And I'm also, as you kind of mentioned, the co-host of another podcast, uh, Beautiful Humans, the Social Change Cast, with uh, Nisha, who is on this, like you said. Um, and we merge social justice and behavior analysis and behavior science, um, really trying to expand um, beyond that, too, to, to bring what we do to a larger group of people as well. Um, I am also uh, uh, with my partner, Kristen, we own um, BH3 Inc., and we do a lot of trainings around the topic that you and I are about ready to talk about um, and just actually got done doing a six hour workshop um, this past week and um, on this whole topic. And talking about like cultural humility and bias and um, all within the context of gender. So, so yeah, I'm super, uh, super excited to be talking about this. Thank you. And thank you again so much um, for just being here, your openness and your willingness. Um, and actually, I kind of want to talk to you about your experience. I think it was in Florida. Um, so first, before we get started, so usually on the show, we do this segment called, and I don't know why I keep on saying we, I need to really work on that. I really <laughs> think it's because like, like I was socialized to think in we versus I, but that's a whole different thing. But anyways, um, called Tacting with Tequila, where essentially, usually I take a shot. It's like 930 in the morning here. And I just, you know, it's not socially acceptable, at least during the week to do that. So I won't take a shot of tequila. Even on the island? You know, I kind of think that should be like an exception, you know, but no, it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> um, my my uncle lives on St. Croix and I went to visit him several years ago, but he came home from work and made himself like a rum punch and went back see, to work. See, I need to hang out with your uncle, you know, mm-hmm. like I think that we yeah. get along. <laughs> um, but essentially, we just talk about some behavioral terms, both in like layman's terms, along with obviously like in the way we analyze them. And I thought of three kind of right off the bat, but please, if there's any that you want to add here, um, or, and I have a feeling probably throughout our actual discussion, maybe more will come up, but um, reinforcement punishment, I talk about those a lot, so I won't really get into the definition of those anymore. Um, but really, I think some of the main ones um, that we'll probably discuss today are the history of reinforcement, along with just ethics, both as a practitioner and um, obviously the way ethics and our Cooper book, um, the way it's defined is specific to us as practitioners. But I do think that just being like, hopefully a morally and ethical person, period, is just something that, you know, we just strive to do as humans. So um I guess in layman's terms, when you think about just the history of reinforcement or someone's history of reinforcement, how would you kind of put that in terms for the listeners? I mean, for me, it's, it's learning, right? Is that mm-hmm. we continue to do the things that we um, contact reinforcement for, but like what benefits us? Um, and that's not always a good thing either. And yeah. we can get into that, you know, later is like what, what behaviors um, are you told uh, you know, that, that are good, right? That, um, and, and oftentimes uh, that reinforcement is not just positive, like you get praise or something that benefits you, um, but can be the avoidance of something else. So um, just in the context of like gender, you know, as a, as a young kid, like maybe I hated wearing dresses, but mm-hmm. I got some sort of reinforcement for doing that. And that reinforcement might have been praise, but that, that for me does not, I don't want praise for wearing a dress. It yeah. was the avoidance of shameful, responses or, um, 
questions or weird looks or things like that for wearing the opposite. So by engaging in a behavior, I avoided a whole bunch of other things. Um, you know, so it's not just, uh, it's not just the positive side. I think we have to remember too, what kind of things we're avoiding, which can also like, you know, we talk about coercion and manipulation and all that stuff too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a really good point. I think sometimes, um, both in layman's terms and even analytically, I think when we think about, um, reinforcement period, like without the context of really considering all of the people and the variables that are actually a part of that, we forget that oftentimes we're just, we're doing things that we would just assume um, would make somebody feel good. And even like behaviorally speaking, sure, like we know that reinforcement, if it has happened, then like we're going to see an increase of behaviors in the future. But when one thing I really just want people to understand is when we're talking about things like reinforcement or punishment, we don't mean them in this whole like quote unquote, like good or bad kind of complex. We are literally talking about just what happens to behavior, be it an increasing or decreasing. But like you were saying, it does not necessarily make the individual feel good or wanted or appreciated or encouraged or empowered or any of these things that unfortunately, I think in like layman's terms, we just would assume would happen with reinforcement. So that's a really good point. Um, And then ethics. So obviously ethics are really just kind of our behaviors, practices, the decisions that we make that hopefully really do kind of address this this fundamental question of is like, is what we're doing good? And I think kind of um, to your point that you were just saying, we also have to really make sure that what is good to us as individuals in the context of how we are um, engaging with other people, that that's actually good for them as well, not necessarily good for me just because I may have been taught um, again that like I should always speak in weaves or you have been taught that like you should always wear dresses or whatever that case may be Um, I don't know if you have anything um, either to add on that or are there any other um, uh, I guess just kind of terms that you can think of that we may kind of go over today yeah I mean well specific to ethics I always find ethics to be really interesting topic I actually teach a class on ethics um and I guess what my thought always comes down to is who gets to determine what is ethical and Mm. and who gets to make those rules and set that um because oftentimes what we find are like the dominant voices Mm. of a majority or people in power are who determines what is quote unquote ethical I just came yeah. across an image today from um, that uh, was a quote by Chase Strangio, which is um, it's a, the deputy director of transgender, transgender justice out of the ACLU um, and has done so much in terms of like legal progress uh, for the trans community. Um, but he said like, and I know this isn't directly related to like practitioners in behavior analysis or, or anything like that, but, um, but he said the state cannot decide who we are and the state cannot limit our ability to collectively care for and save ourselves. And that mm. is, is a way to say like, who gets to define who we are as people, just in the same way as who, do, who gets to define what is ethical and what is right and what is morally right. Because if you go yeah. ask, um, and I, I'm stereotyping here because you want to talk about learning history, <laughs> um, right? <laughs> uh, but you want to talk to like conservatives and how they define and they view ju- gender um, and what would be immoral when it comes to um, gender. And I would fall within that immoral you know, um, group of people. And so I think just considering to even just our own ethics code within behavior analysis to, to analyze like who wrote this and who does it benefit um, and who got to choose, you know, what what is considered harm and what is considered no doing no harm, you know? So, mm, yeah. Um, but in terms of like other I mean, you could just go through the whole task list of behavior analysis. You can go through and there's going to be something that that does apply. Um, It's funny. I was making notes on the questions that you had in this outline here. And um, one of the words that that came up was discrimination, Uh, not in the context of what everybody else thinks of discrimination or people outside of behavior analysis, but discrimination in the sense of like how we, you know, um, respond to different to different uh, stimuli, you know, and what those Mm -hmm. different things mean to us. Um, you know, and, and 
you know, we'll talk, like, I, I wrote down to talk about gender training late, later, but that's essentially mm-hmm. what we do is how we then fall into these norms and stereotypes. We can talk about stimulus control. We can talk, I mean, we can talk about yeah. everything, which I'm sure All some of it. <laughs> come up, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Um, one of the things, and I think we'll also talk about this too, but I think one of the things that has been really interesting is um, I feel like oftentimes, um, especially like right now, and I hate using this whole like in the current climate because the reality is we've been in this climate for, I mean, as long as mm-hmm. I think probably any of us at least have been alive. <laughs> um, but it, essentially, I guess in this current climate, um, there is there seems to be like this shift, I think. Um, and people are like, well, why, um, you know, essentially, why can't we just talk about the science? You know, like, and, and I think for practitioners, um, especially like powerhouses like you and Denisha who um, and Warner, like people who have really been, I think, on the map for quite a while of really trying to help practitioners and just people to understand that our science, um, because it is supposed to be the science of socially significant behavior, we do have to essentially kind of bridge this gap. Um, I literally was just reading comments during my insomnia this morning where people um, on a particular person's uh, post and I won't say any names um, but they were essentially they were just trying to say like essentially like you know and if if you don't use the same toothpaste as me if you don't you know vote for the same candidate as me you know surely like you're a terrible behavior analyst and I think there is this kind of push of like let's keep it about the science and and I think for people kind of from my viewpoint um, and you know from the likes of yours as well where it's like all of this shit matters and it all matters actually within this this kind of um I don't know like it's like a continuum like there is not just the science and then all this other shit that doesn't like affect that at least in my opinion and I think for some people they believe that actually that I just contradicted myself and that science is something that is um or and allegedly has always been known to be as something that is just very like black and white. And um, how do you kind of, um, and I know I didn't add this on the outline, but kind of hearing you um, describe all of these other ABA terms, how do you kind of respond to that kind of criticism? When it comes to science, right? Like uh, clearly we, we are scientists, um, but, and if you look historically, science is rooted in objectivity and objectivity is actually from everything that I'm learning and, and, um, perspective, uh, you know, is, is gaining that perspective and listening to different voices is learning that, um, that can be used as a tool for oppression, um, is to, to, to refuse to focus on subjectivity and people's experiences and how it makes like the social validity. We're, we're supposed to be a science that, that, um, upholds social validity. Um, Mm -hmm. and, sometimes we do but other times I think there are major major um, places where we need to do better and we completely fail Um, and when we continue to go back and say okay let's focus on the science let's focus on the science there's the way in which we utilize that and the way in which that is used within an argument can be used to silence people yeah yeah so so and and I mean I've got uh, I don't want to like skip too far ahead because it's highly relevant to one of the questions that you have later on, um, but that was actually something that I had written down was was the the focus on objectivity um, mm-hmm. can be um, it can be used but it can also be used to harm. Yes, I like that. Well, so let's get into the segment. So essentially, usually I break up the podcast episodes with this whole like tacking with tequila and then I'll do a segment called hashtag will press lever for news and oftentimes I'll do um, multiple pop culture events but so this week um, it's transgender awareness week and as such that will be the only news that I want to talk about um, during this segment so um, once again Erin I do appreciate you um, and your willingness really to come on the show um, and just be open and authentic and I hope and pray that um I do a good job of making you feel safe and honored. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. How do you feel, um, especially this year, with it being um, a year, I think, of both like heaviness and I think in, in, I guess, some capacity, kind of a year of breakthrough, I think, as well. 
Um, how does it feel this year to be honored as a, a trans person um, during this particular week? I wrote down the word conflicted when I read that. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Because while like the, the, the two um, almost like tones that you just said, like, like super heavy, but also mm-hmm. um, feeling like something, there's the potential for something to shift. And I know that yeah. that uh, has been communicated throughout a lot of people. Um, and, and those who are like out there um, presenting and, and things of that nature. But um, I think like part of me is very scared, um, but also very hopeful. And I think that, like you said, like we have this, we had an election, right? We had uh, the amount of things that have happened in 2020 have just like, I, I, I don't Insane. know. It's <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we see during this past election, like, yes, uh, Joe Biden won. And aside from that, like, we saw the election of um, many individuals uh, from the LGBTQIA plus community, and not just a gay or lesbian or bisexual, but trans individuals yeah. um, to public office. And not only that, like, Joe Biden actually elected, um, a, a, a elected, that's not the right word, appointed one to, like, his, his transition <laughs> team, um, has mm-hmm. a whole plan for, for, um, whether it's policy change or just um, how to address the needs of the trans community. Um, trans issues were brought up in a presidential debate, you know, so there are these things mm-hmm. that are happening where it's like, all right, like I feel like there's gaining some traction. Um, but also there's a lot of caution because in the same year, we've also seen 34 um, trans women of color being murdered, which is um, like, I don't even know what the other, I think it was 26 was the most, um, you know, in, in yeah, past, last in past year. years. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's November and, and we're already however many ahead, you know, <laughs> of last year. And, um, and so there's that. And then also too, a lot of these people that are being elected, um, are, are white. And so I think that that has mm-hmm. the potential to leave out like all of the, the, um, you know, the important issues that come with like intersectional identities and things like that. And so I'm very cautious when it comes to those kind of things. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that it's going to be <laughs> um, kind of surface level feel good change, um, you know, so hopefully, and again, that's the hopeful part, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, being fearful. And I know we spoke in um, a meeting earlier this week about some feelings that you had um, when you were in the area of that training with Kristen that you were talking about. And I know we didn't talk about this, um, I think, prior to this recording. Um, do you feel comfortable, even if you don't um, feel comfortable saying like the details or anything, but do you kind of feel comfortable telling the listeners about just that fear that you had, even in just what should be a very, very, if anything, either neutral or like reinforcing place, like a grocery store. Yeah. Um, yeah. How is that? Um, I mean, this is a good time to bring in, you know, some terminology too, because we have these, um, you know, things we talk about discrimination, we talk about stimulus and what those like these different stimuli can signal to people, whether it's to me, whether it's to others. Um, and, and so, the place where where we were was a relatively conservative area. If you looked at the um, election map, we were in a very red area. Um, and you go up there, apparently mask wearing is not a thing. And so oh, the signal of wearing a mask in there, um, it seemed like there were a lot of stairs where a mask would not have indicated that otherwise. But it seemed to communicate like, okay, if you're wearing a mask, then you are on this side, right? We're discriminating like Mm. because you wear a mask, then this is a group of people that you fall within because most people up here are not doing that. And if they are, it's like half hanging off their face and it's like just to get into the store if a store is requiring it. Um, But we had, you know, we stopped, we were traveling back and still kind of in that general area, but had gone into a restaurant um, just quick to grab something to eat. The people preparing the food were not um, were not wearing masks. The um, and then a whole group of like six to ten people kind of came in behind us. None of them were wearing masks. And it's like at that point, what does that signal to me? It's like I could ask the people and say, No, I don't feel comfortable um, taking your food or eating your food because you're not wearing a mask. But now there's however many people standing around me. 
I don't come off as looking like a cisgender um, straight person, right? Like I have queer written all over me. And so um, that's another thing that then signals to those people. And for me, there's like, um, there, there's a lot of fear that, that comes with that when, Mm -hmm. um, when you know that the trans people are being murdered. Now I do have some, a lot of protection because I'm white, you know, um, does it feel like that in the moment? Am I logically thinking about, okay, I'm white. They're not going to really hurt me when some man is, is staring, like angrily staring, like it's, it feels very, very dangerous. And so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, all of those things that, that, that history that we're talking about, um, you know, you then learn, how do I get through a situation like this? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point. I often talk about passability and how I think for us, particularly in the LGBTQIA community, passability, even within our own community, is used as a form of both like praise and oppression. And that definitely has generalized to people outside of our community in that um, one of the things that um, both like myself and say Jamie, for example, we both are cisgender uh, women. Um, I'm feminine presenting. She's more androgynous presenting. And I definitely am treated um, in a more privileged way oftentimes than she is simply because I can pass as straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me as the person that is able to pass, it also, I think that is wrapped up in so much oppression oh. because <laughs> there's so many times where I'm like, look at me, like I'm a lesbian too. You know what I mean? Or, and, and that could be used in anything, be it like dating, obviously prior to, you know, she and I, um, but also where it's like, what are we really talking about? Like kind of going into like more of like the RFT kind of module, like what have I really learned about my identity um, and about this ability to pass and that really giving me more, you know, respect or more just really like going back to like ethics and just like just being good Mm -hmm. um and then also like what have I learned about um how someone that may not be able to pass as easily like what what like what are like all these messages right um so even and I imagine within like the trans community passability is something that from my understanding is a huge deal in that number one safety is I mean literally like like you were just saying like when you guys talk about safety isn't we're not talking about safety in a in a very cavalier sense like it we're talking about literally life or death Mm -hmm. um so passability unfortunately it seems like maintains a lot of safety um along with just disclosure um I know I have a few trans friends who they um they are like trans by I guess definition but like they don't identify themselves as like, hi, my name is so-and-so, like I am a trans, like insert, you know, gender here. They just, in, they just, if they introduce themselves and include their gender at all, they'll just say like what the pronouns are and it'll just be like, hey, like, you know, I'm a woman or hey, like I'm a man without the word trans in front of it. So I also wonder kind of too, like how much passability and even disclosure, how much we've really been taught that like, that means something versus the fact that it really should be individualized. Um, I don't really know if that makes any sense. I know for me, like I have no problem, for example, like disclosing that I'm a lesbian, but like, there are some people who are like, I don't feel like I should even have to disclose that. Like if, if I'm just living my life like normal and I just so happen to introduce my spouse and they are, you know, of whatever gender, then it, then that's when somebody else can kind of make that connection. So what do you kind of think, I guess, or what are your experiences if you feel comfortable um, talking about like passability and even like disclosure of your identity? There's so much like wrapped up in everything that you just said. And I think it's really, really complex, um, not only because of the history of trans people, or just anybody uh, within that community. Um, And I don't think you can separate, you can't separate that history um, from the current state of our world right now. Um, You know, in the sense that there are people out there who are out and proud and being trans, but then there's also this other, um, there are other people who 
the goal is to pass. You know, like that is what they mm-hmm. want. And whether that's for survival purposes, whether it's just because they want to be feel um, validated and in order to feel validated, yeah. it has, you have to, to pass. There's, and that, that's not to discount anybody's um, what they would want. Um, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with wanting that. Um, but I don't know if you can separate how the world has treated trans people and the need to pass yeah. um, yep. from the current uh, desire for some people to pass. And there's no, like, there's honestly no judgment in saying that um but with saying that too we 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 have to talk about internalized uh, transphobia internalized homophobia um and a lot of us don't i've really been uh you know this past year on a journey to understand how all of that shows up um you know just in in the way i think in the way i show up in the world in relationships and friendships uh as a parent all of this and i didn't Mm -hmm. i had no idea how prevalent it is and how it impacts me every single day. Um, and so when you talk about passability, there is, for a lot of people, there's a survival component to that. I can pass as a gay woman if I wanted to. Um, and that's also to say like, you know, when people think about trans too, because I, I don't like people think of male to female or female to male. That is what, when our history has taught us and that's not just, that's not, um, only the only forms of, of, of trans identity. And so like for me, uh, yeah. you know, identifying as like non-binary, sometimes I like to use the word mm-hmm. agender, like not having a gender. Sometimes it's um, gender non-conforming. There are different words. Sometimes that fluctuates from day to day, what, what, it, what resonates and what feels right. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know, like <laughs> there's, I, I don't know if there's any way to not pass like because a lot to that I don't know how to articulate this but it's like that doesn't exist to a lot of people um and Mm -hmm. so they automatically we talk about like discrimination things like that they put you into this box and if you have these attributes over here that means that you um are going to pass as this over here and so um I I just the the idea of passability and all the things that you kind of just brought up it it's so complex um as a, mm-hmm. like a cultural level, um, if you wanted to talk about like cultural analysis and how that changes over time, but also like an individual's own experience within that too. Um, and it's never just straightforward. Yeah. It's so, it's so complex. Well, and this is why, especially I think for behavior analysts, but also just as people, it, it really does pay to individualize whatever our interactions are with people um, you know, to a certain degree as as much as we can. And that, um, and I, I should have given this disclaimer. I really hope that the people who listen to the show know this though, but I do want to give a disclaimer. You're not speaking on behalf of the trans community. <laughs> and, I, and I'm really trying to specify my questions really to you because it's like, quite literally, we're all just different people. And, and I think anything that has to do with our identity is so like you said, just is so complex. And I think sometimes it's such a privilege being a part of um, like a community where we actually embrace talking about that. And we actually embrace trying to figure it out in a way that I don't believe that in a, in a heteronormative society, they have the ability to, or even not even necessarily the ability to, but I just don't know if they're prompted to in the way that we are. So I really am grateful that I'm able to even kind of try to think about the complexities of identity, but it is, it's, it's super, super um, complex. I think one of the things that you have mentioned, um, you've mentioned different like intersections and one of the hardest things for me when I speak about my intersections and then to various people who are also uh, share some of the identities within my intersections is this lack of generalization of empathy or even like for real understanding about certain experiences. Um, so within say like the heterosexual like black community, when I talk about my experiences as a lesbian or when I talk on behalf and advocate for my trans brothers, sisters, non-binary folk, there is such 
there oftentimes it's like this resistance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how, how do you get it when we are talking about this very same issue when it comes to just blackness? Um, first of all, forgetting that there are all different kinds of black people who have <laughs> different kinds of identities. Like, how do you get it then, but you don't get it now? I feel like with white people, it's kind of the same thing, especially when I talk to white women where I'm like, how do you get it when it comes to your oppression that you face when it comes to your gender, but you somehow can't generalize your understanding or empathy to, you know, insert whatever said community. Do you feel, um, and and actually full disclosure, um, I got into a pretty heated argument with somebody over the summer um, when um, a group of people, I believe this was during the DC, one of the DC Black Lives Matter protests, they put, they were uh, the group of people who put all Black Lives Matter. And so somebody came to me and they were like, Cam, like, help me understand this. Like, I don't understand like why they had to put all. So I explained it. I was like, I don't, I think you not understanding it is exactly why they had <laughs> to put it. This is why these are the facts. These are how many trans people, trans women of color in particular, Black trans women were murdered just last year. And you don't know about that. Half of that, half of the reason um, or, or maybe more than half, I don't know, of the reason of that is probably because of really just sheer ignorance, right? Lack of media coverage, so on and so forth. But the other half is, may also really just be because of just like willful ignorance, you know, like, but because surely we know about um, some of the, a lot of, or not a lot, but I'm sure we know about, you know, just some of these like um, murders of Black people at the hands of the police in particular that have like made news so anyways I'm explaining this and they were I mean just going back and forth and when I tell you they were literally saying the exact same things that white people say to us about Black Lives Matter I mean like verbatim right and the only difference is is that instead of it being a white person talking about how all lives matter um, trying to kind of silence the the us being very specific when it comes to Black lives they were just trying to do that with the trans community. So I hit up Denisha and this is before I really even knew Denisha. And I'm like, I need advice because I know that it's not appropriate to opt out, but what do you do? Like when you're hitting this brick wall and she was like, honestly, I like take a breather, you know, I take whatever that step back is that I need to. So I can actually engage with this person essentially in like an effective way. But then I keep going just like how I would want somebody to do, you know, for like my identity and so sure enough, I did that. Um, and it it was really interesting trying different kind of tactics to kind of keep myself in check because I tend to get very emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes when I talk to people about this, I have to be more logical. Um, do you feel like you have to kind of, I don't even like using the word police, but do you feel like you have to kind of police or kind of keep your emotions in check when you're really trying to help people understand that what you're saying and what you're feeling is valid? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, And I know I, you know, as a white person, I don't have um, the same stereotypes um, that, like, you as a black woman. Um, So if I get angry or something like that, that, you know, I'm not going to be subject to the same kind of, um, you know, stereotypes and and, uh, responses that you unfortunately would get. But it does, it like shuts down a conversation because people expect you to be mm-hmm. nice. And, um, and especially, um, you know, and I used to say like white people, but I, I think to some degree that also extends to like cisgender people and heterosexual people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I could <laughs> wrap all that in and put everybody in white and all those people together. But yes, but even, um, you know, people of different racial and, um, and ethnic minorities, um, but that are also cisgender and that are also heterosexual I think that that to some degree it extends to them too but there's this ex, there's this um, expectation that you're to educate them and that mm. through that education it's to share personal experiences and there's there's some it's um, it, there's a uh, during the training we just gave um, there was an interview that uh, Janet mock who's a trans um, a, a black trans woman who uh, wrote a book um, she's an activist. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she did this interview yeah. with, with Pierce, uh, gosh, Pierce something, Pierce Morgan uh, on some news uh, channel about her book. And he starts asking all these very intimate, personal questions about 
her experience. Mm. And it's like, but you know, we need to get through these things and you know, the viewers want to know. And I think people really want to know. And it's like, you're not allowed no. to watch her in that <laughs> interview. You're not allowed to get upset. You're not allowed to get mad. Yeah. You cannot do that because your existence is there to educate others. Or at least at times yeah. that's what it feels like. Um, and, yeah. and especially if you're in position, you know, kind of like Jana Mocker, like, like even myself, where we are going out there and we are educating, um, for yeah. some reason that indicates to others that that is like, because we have put out this information, this material, and we put ourselves in these positions that, um, we are now giving consent for people to ask us questions or to contact us and ask us a multitude of, of questions. Um, there's also another trans activist, um, Kai, um, Tom Chang, and, and she talks about, um, just wanting to eat lasagna. Like, I, I just want to yeah. eat my lasagna some nights. Just leave me alone. You know, like I, consent yeah. is, is absolutely key. And generally when I present on anything, there's that, um, this consent does not extend beyond this. Like if you see me in the hallway, if you see me somewhere else, like, um, the consent does not extend beyond that. You don't get to ask me personal questions. And if you want my time mm-hmm. beyond that, like set up a consultation and pay people for their time. That's their emotional labor that yep. goes into all of that. Um, and I think the more that people try to, to do that and understand in those means, like that for me puts down a barrier. It's like, okay, you value what I'm about ready to say. Um, at least I'm getting mm-hmm. something out of it if you don't like the way that, that yeah. you know, or need some additional kind of information. But, you know, it's you do, you have to, you have to keep yourself in check. And I think going back to that internalized transphobia, there's for me personally speaking, I don't speak for everybody else, but for me, um, there's that sense of like having to constantly tell yourself that you are already valid. And so when that is questioned Mm. in a moment, um, there's, there's a side, like there's a part of you that kind of like steps back and it's, you know, it's questioning, um, you know, Mm. even if you don't want to, for me, that's, that's what happens. I just wish that people, and I mean, I I know that as far as like scholarly sources and all that, Google isn't technically one, but I just wish that people would use that or even like YouTube or whatever, where it's like, I just, I can't imagine being in a position, especially of an interview, like a professional interview and somebody using that as a way to be like, well, all the people want to know, well, all the people can fucking Google, mm-hmm. like, it's not anybody's business. And it's, and even if it is their business, it's not my job to educate somebody on something so deeply personal. And I think, I don't know, I just, I, I hope people understand that just how harmful and damaging that is. And I just, I can't imagine that. Well, like I, right. And I think for trans people too, there's this added level of not just educating, but because we have to put people in boxes and because our society and this mm. binary system in terms of gender um, equates a woman with having certain physical, uh, like uh, anatomy, uh, right. Um, yeah. Then I need to know there's something that people need to know. It's like, well, do you have, have you had surgery? Have you not had surgery? Like what kind of parts do you have? Are you on hormones? Like, and it's oh. like this whole, how do you, like, what, there's this need to know. And I don't know if that's because there's been comfort in just this automatic knowledge that's been presented with gender and physical sex, um, you know, and people just, it, it, there's a, you know, I don't, I won't get like too technical, but there's this need for us to have coherence, you know, in our information yes. and any sort of discomfort out of there, we, we have to like go and seek that gives us some sort of like, we, we go back to our nice equilibrium when we know things. And, um, and I think that that, that governs a lot of people's behavior in the terms of like, they want to escape that, that uncomfortable feeling. And I should have access to your information. So I don't have to feel comfortable or I don't have to feel uncomfortable, you know? It's crazy. I mean, I don't, I just, it's like, I understand, I guess, curiosity, but I think you just gave a really good glimpse into why we're even curious in the first place. Mm -hmm. In that I think we, like you said, like we're taught that things have to make sense in a very binary kind of way. And, um, which is weird though, because we're kind of also not. So like as a cancer survivor, for example, it is, I get sympathy for being a woman, a cisgender woman without my reproductive parts. Mm -hmm. But 
it's weird again going back to this lack of generalization that like that somehow it is without a doubt because of how I identify as this gender like nobody questions if I'm a woman or not right right like simply because of that you know what I mean but for some reason we just can't we choose not to generalize that or maybe we're just never taught to, I don't know, generalize that well, and then, to other communities or other situations. And it's just, it's fucked up. Well, right. Well, the idea of choice comes into that. You didn't choose to have cancer, right? In a lot of people's eyes, yeah. they choose to be trans. They choose. It's seen as an elective procedure. Um, and the understanding mm. of like that dysphoria that comes along with that, that lack of um, alignment, you know, in your body, um, you know, that, that, pe- that some people feel so, so strongly that can lead to, to you know, this deep, deep depression, and even suicide at times if they can't um, yeah. put that into alignment. And so um, I think that that's, that is a whole part of that. And again, that comes back to, um, you know, that binary system and this is the way and yeah. the, biome- the, the biomedical model of gender and sex and how that is used as um, science. Um, and scientific evidence that um, gender and sex are these two things. And if you are anything outside of that, then you are wrong in some way, shape, or form. And we are going to put a diagnosis to that. We're going to put it in the DSM. The World Health Organization is going yeah. to categorize this. We're going to criminalize homosexual activity and, and all of these mm-hmm. things. And, and people are going to make medical decisions for us um, because they know better than we do. And so when that becomes your history as an individual, um, not only is that internalized, but that to like Chase said in that quote is like, who gets to determine who, who you are. And so anything outside yeah. of that then becomes a choice because somebody else has defined that for us. Yeah. It's so dangerous, um, mm-hmm. to define these norms. Um, which kind of brings me to how, how do you kind of, reckon with all of this in your practice as a behavior analyst. I know I've consulted with you before, which I do need to yell at you because you've yet to send me my invoice and I have not forgotten. And I've asked you like four times, but how do you kind of- It's like the ADHD part. All right, cool. (laughs) Um, Especially too, when it comes to like, um, I think right now, a lot of people have been asking and I've even asked about like, um, to teach or not to teach gender pronouns. Um, and so with you being both a behavior analyst and a teacher, how do you kind of, one, present yourself? Um, and I don't literally mean like how you identify, like how do you show up as a trans person along with being like a trans activist in your work as a behavior analyst and teacher? And then when it comes to really the study of human behavior, how do you advocate for, um, I think, a more like reformed idea of, of how we should be going about teaching gender. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting um, because I used to say that uh, like showing up in the world as a behavior analyst, like um, I, it became the lens that I would see the entire world through. And I think that, mm. that now the same thing has happened in terms of, of being trans um, because I didn't, you know, I didn't, um, fully identify all of this until um, my early 30s and so like two years ago as far as being trans Mm. Um, and 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 now everything kind of just makes sense (laughs) it's like great like I have this ability to show up in the world now as more authentic and so um, experiencing all of that I think really drives my desire and my passion um, in terms of like values to to hear the voices of people who are unheard and to really uplift those and um, to continue doing that work, Um, you know, and and whether a large majority of of individuals are working um, or behavior analysts are working with the autistic community, um, but even, you know, beyond that and where can our science and how can our science do better for one thing? um, Because we know we we have a lot of work to do within that, but um, it's just, I, I don't know if there's any way to not, um, to not show up in that way. Um, and I don't know yeah. if I actually have words to, to say exactly how that shows up, but I think it's like the things that I used not, wasn't, I wasn't seeing before I am seeing now, um, mm. and in the sense of like understanding internalized oppression and in the sense of like understanding how I wound up in my thirties and not being out, um, and access to information and history of reinforcement, Mm -hmm. like we talked about all of that. Um, and I think that that, you know, as far as working as a behavior analyst, it it really does, um, kind of 
shift your your way of thinking and, and seeing the world. Yeah. And in terms of like clinical, I mean that's kind of like a a different shift in the sense that like if we are to for gender right if we're to consider and it is a social construct and that gender is self-selected then everything um within our world is in terms of gender um needs to shift to uh, and i don't i'm still working to conceptualize Mm. all of this but in the in the sense of like teaching like so so let's say i got a, a whole bunch of kids um and and Kristen has um, mm-hmm. two of her own, and um, you know, so the one thing that we even just at its basic core component is to teach our kids not to assume gender based on physical discrimination, yeah. like at its minor core. And we can say, okay, pink's not for girls. Anybody can have pink, and you know, all of those things that are the norms, rules, stereotypes of um, of gender. But even just like not assuming somebody's gender. And it's funny how easily kids can pick mm-hmm. those things up, you know? And, and, and so just using gender neutral language for people that they don't, um, that they don't know that haven't self-identified. And so if we're working with kids and you want to, you know, there's a need to teach how to use yeah. pronouns, um, then you're only teaching gendered pronouns for people who have identified yeah. themselves. So if that's mom or if that's dad, or if that's a sibling, you know, whoever that is, and then anybody else beyond that, automatically defaults to gender neutral until they have self-identified that you know and but the issue then you run into is ethical issues which is you know I don't I I don't know if we want to go into that whole um you know because that I mean we could just go on a tangent like for an hour just based on that but um I mean just even personally I think just consider how how gender shows up I, I watch my um kids those who currently identify as as boys and those who currently identify as girls and the boys get different Mm -hmm. rules you know they're they can be louder they interrupt the girls they they speak over the girls they answer for them and and just knowing how gender shows up and those rules and those stereotypes first you have to know that second you have to say how this is a problem and to teach that differently and to interrupt that you know boys are taught to take up a lot of space in this world and <laughs> that starts very yeah. early on, and so um, you know, just even those kind of things. I think it's just um, it goes beyond pronouns. It goes beyond okay, let little boys play with dolls and girls can play with trucks. You know, it it goes way, way, way beyond all of yeah. those things. Um. So, what is something, and this can um, be anything, that you'd want someone to kind of take away um, from this conversation about you? about mm-hmm. me I have a hard time talking about Same. myself I, my therapist is working <laughs> with me um, on that <laughs> it's that whole yeah thing, right? yeah you, you can't it's for being raised in such an individualistic society you know there I, I think being raised as um as girls and females mm-hmm. too that's very yeah. different and it just goes back to <laughs> what that is uh you know I was just talking about but I think, um, you know, and I realized the first question you asked me too is like, how does it for me, like, how do I feel this year? Like being honored as part of like the trans community being asked to come on your podcast, you know, um, I realized I didn't actually say how I felt about my position in that. I just felt like how I felt about Mm. the whole world. Um, and, but I think there's this whole message and I'm still trying to like, to, to figure this out, but you know, the idea of, and, and, and someone being trans, including myself, it's not necessarily something to overcome. We are not brave. Um, we are not, I mean, everybody's unique and special, but if we are to see trans, um, you know, equitably in the same way that we see everybody else, um, you know, then it's not something, some challenge to Mm -hmm. overcome, you know, it is, I, I, am similar to any other beautiful and valid person in this world. Now, again, another trans person may tell you something different, you know, they, they may see that drastically different. So I'm answering like about me. And, um, I I just think that, I I don't know that that too. So, but, and that there's more to me than being trans. That's something in the past two years is like, I am now the SDI signal reinforcement for information of all things trans and gender related. Um, 
and sometimes I want to have conversations, like I said, at at conference about like the, you know, I don't know, latest Netflix binge worthy show or, um, you know, whatever that is. I I want to have conversations. I want to get to know people on a different level other than that. Um, you know, so my worth is more than just being trans, I think is what that comes down to. Um, and then the final question is, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? If you had to, like, really give an educated guess. <laughs> I need to know where this came from. Because I just really <laughs> want to know. So I was actually in a meeting earlier today, and um, one of my scholars was just kind of singing that. And I was like, I feel like I actually want to know the answer to this. So I was like, well, I'm talking to Aaron today. Let's ask. <laughs> So by chucking, does that mean like throwing? Because yeah. that's what we would send. Like, I'm going to chuck this so. over here, you know? So a, a woodchuck. I don't know. Woodchuck's got kind of short arms, right? I need to like Google a picture of a, a woodchuck. First of all, is a woodchuck so actually thinking, well, a real but thing? That... <laughs> um, my first thing was like, probably if it's a woodchuck and like, oh, it's a ground oh. ball. Okay. Um, oh, like they, their arms are like non-existent. So they probably they can't probably chuck anything. Chuck a lot of wood. But they got some... <laughs> you know I, maybe if they broke it down and they're like really small maybe part, they use know. their <laughs> teeth to chuck it okay so here's your homework please ask each one of your kids Here we go. and please let me know what their answers are I'm curious I feel like kids also have okay. just an imagination that as far as mine it just has been punished I think over or extinguished over the years so I just feel oh, like yeah. maybe they would know so I that's interesting. Please I will do. do that. Well, I know you have some teaching to do soon, but I just cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast. As you know, I am just a huge fan of yours. I'm also lucky to call you a friend and a colleague. Um, before we go, though, please, I want you to tell the listeners where they can find you. And also, I just want you to talk briefly about your fundraiser so we can best support you. Oh, yeah. Ha, that's cool. Forgot <laughs> about that. Yes. So, um, which is funny. I just did a lot of work on it today, but, um, social media. Um, I mean, I've got like six Instagram accounts or something like that, you know, through the podcast, um, through, uh, BH3, um, also co-creator of confessions of a behavior analyst, which is a group for, um, Facebook group for behavior analysts. But, um, uh, on Facebook, my name is Aaron Donovan. Um, Gosh, I don't even know what my Instagram handle is, <laughs> perpetual forward motion or something like that. That's my personal one. But um, I can send those to you and you can put them in show notes Perfect. or something like that. But, um, yeah, the the fundraiser. So I created this fundraiser. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier or did I mention earlier healthcare? No, maybe that was a different conversation today. Um, but healthcare and trans um, access to, to healthcare and equitable healthcare. Um, it's getting better, but it's still significantly less, um, and uh, there, there are significant issues with that. And so oftentimes the, uh, the insurance companies that do provide access to and cover um, gender affirmation surgeries um, don't cover those. They see them as elective procedures. There are some out there. We are seeing more policies that are coming out about that and work in that, in that direction. Um, but for a lot of people, and myself included, um, you know, that we have to pay for those surgeries out of pocket. And so the, the current fundraiser, um, and I refuse just to ask yeah. people for money. And again, I think that that's one of those things that I was raised with, um, my own learning history that I, I have a really hard time doing that. So what I did was I put together CE opportunities for people, um, 10 bucks an hour, there's 10 total. Um, there's two workshops that are two and a half hours each. The first one's this Sunday, actually. Um, and then the webinars, there's five of those. Those will all be have recorded options too. Um, I've got some people coming on to, uh, to to join me for those. So I'm pretty excited about that. But they're all around gender. They're all around like prejudice and bias and cultural humility. Um, and so to provide some education based on that uh, is is pretty cool. And all the proceeds go to. Um, so right now they go to to my surgical fund. Um, you know I, that I need for next year. And if it goes well, um, I want to do this future, future, um, you know, years, um, get some sponsors, uh, you know, and, and donate these to people who are in desperate need. Um, you know, we talk about minority stress and, and how that is impactful and, and quality of life and Mm -hmm. well-being. 
are directly related to a lot of um, access to these these uh, um, you know these procedures and and just being able to show up in the world as your authentic self and when there are barriers to getting to that um, it it does it impacts your your mental health your physical well-being all yeah. of those things so but. so where can we um, sign up for the this fundraiser opportunity so that's going to be on our website bh3 inc dot com um, and then it's backslash Perfect. human um, or backslash shop human um, but if you just go to bh3inc.com you will see um, the human series um, and that is the link to all of those Perfect. well I look too, forward to so. attending yeah. I will be there on Sunday I'm super super pumped about that and I'm actually looking at the awesome. bundle right now I think I'm just going to do the bundle options so that way I can do the recordings with the time zone change and everything yeah. so I'm excited um, well first of all Yes, and I congratulations that, on that too. You were actually yeah. no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say you were one of the people I thought about. I was like, how hard is it to to schedule <laughs> camming sometimes? And I was like, all right, the workshop. The reason that we're not recording the workshops is because it's um a lot of yeah. personal information is shared through that, and I don't I, I don't feel comfortable. I wouldn't want my information um, shared, so it's just a safer place for people yeah. to show up and 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 learn an active learning opportunity. But I'm the so pumped. Will be recorded. And congratulations, honestly, on cool. on launching such a dynamic, dynamic, um, just learning opportunity. I know it takes a lot of work, um, and that's not even including just some of the emotional labor that goes into it. So I'm just so excited to see you blossom. I'm just I'm pumped. I can't wait to learn more. Thank you. Well, thank you again. So thank you. Yeah, really thank you it. so so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I'll link everything in the show notes where you can find Erin, where you can find Beautiful Humans, BH3 Inc. Um, and yeah, I will see you on Sunday. Awesome. Thank you again so much for joining me. Right. No problem. Thanks, Have Erin. a good one. All right. I am back just for a quick wrap up. Um, I just want to thank Erin again so, so much for just the time and the emotional labor of coming on to the show, especially this week um, with it being Transgender Awareness Week. I really hope that some takeaways from the show really just include just all of us hopefully should be striving to simply just be a better human. Um, We all need to do, I think, a better job of not believing everything that we think, um, really interrogating all of our beliefs, um, all of our thoughts, um, questioning everything, and really just being willing to learn. Um, And I think most importantly, we really just need to do a better job of just accepting people exactly how they are, um, accepting people for exactly who they are in the way Um, that we really just want people to do for us. Um, So again, um, thank you, Erin, so much to all of my trans brothers and sisters and people out there. Um, I just want to personally say that I love you. I stand with and for you. And I just look so forward to all of us really just coming together and just making this world a better place. Um, please send any of your questions or comments to the Love Sex ABA Instagram page um, at Love Sex ABA for any kind of um, questions about any kind of like business opportunities or anything like that. Please send those to the Gmail at Love Sex ABA Podcast at gmail.com. For Aaron's fundraiser, again, you can find that at B as in boy, H as in hamburger, three, the number three, inc.com. Um, not only will you find the CEU, the Continuing Education Unit's fundraiser opportunity, but you'll see a whole bunch of other stuff such as um things that you can buy, like stickers and buttons, t-shirts, posters, um, just upcoming events, including um, a conference that hopefully will be able to be held next year. Um, So please, I encourage you again to go to bh3inc.com 
for all of those details. Um, please also follow um, the beautiful humans um, on I know that they're on Apple Music, anywhere else where you can find podcasts, though they are um, just committed to dismantling systems of oppression. I absolutely love the work that they do. So please go ahead and follow them on Instagram. You can also find their website. It's beautifulhumanschange.com. You see a lot of information and, um, again, more things that you can buy. I'm obsessed with stickers, so feel free to go in there. Um, and yeah, as always, I just ask that you all please consider leaving me a five-star review, um, a five-star, let's just say, and a review, um, that is definitely what positively reinforces my behavior of recording this podcast and keeps me going. So yeah, um, thank you so much for joining me this week on Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis, the podcast where pop culture and ABA meet. Bye.